Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast, the place for ideas you can implement to achieve prosperity. You'll get insights from successful business people on how they do business better. You'll glean tactics on creating a life and business by choice because we interview real business people who've done just that. Now here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings and thanks for joining me here on the Do Business Better podcast. Got a great show for you today because I got a great guest. This guy and I met a few years ago at an engagement where I was the speaker talking about business reinvention. He himself knows about business reinvention because he has reinvented himself. This is a self-made entrepreneur that started his business when he was 18 years old. Didn't come from nothing. This is not grandpa's company that he's just clinging on to. This is a self-made entrepreneurial business person with a lot for you to learn. And what you're going to really learn is that a business can be started in the most humble of ways. His name is Mark Stoner. He's in the Nashville, Tennessee area, but he's from Southern Indiana originally. Started Ashbuster's Chimney Service as an 18-year-old cleaning chimneys because he didn't have much, but he knew he could get on a ladder, get on a roof, clean a chimney, and charge somebody for it. Mark Stoner, thanks for being here. Hey, guys. Thanks a lot for uh, having me. I'm uh, super excited. It's an honor. Okay. Well, we tell everybody on this podcast, this is for business-minded people, business folks, business owners, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, self-employed, freelancers. You know, the more this economy evolves, the more there's going to be people that have to just figure it out on their own. Uh, the idea of going and working in corporate for the rest of your life, you know, that, that, thing left the, that thing left the station several years ago. You started out when you are 18 years old. I started when I was 25. A lot of people are out here saying, oh, I'm 40. I'm thinking about starting my own business. It doesn't matter how old you are. You learned a hell of a lot. Tell me about starting out at 18. Well, I was working in a factory, like you said, in Southern Indiana. It didn't take me long to realize I don't think I'm cut out for factory work. I was a welder. Uh, I didn't, what I really didn't like was the culture of what I was getting into. And I thought I really wanted to, I kind of wanted to be my own boss. And I thought, um, I, I really want to just be responsible for my, my trajectory. I read an article in a magazine. I don't know if you remember the mother earth news. It was a pretty popular thing. I happened to read this article that said sweep chimneys make $55 an hour. I was in a marketing class at IU, uh, IU Southeast. They said, we're going to, you know, to take a mock business and see what you can do with it. I found chimney sweeping. I got started for about $3,000, a ladder, a vacuum. And my marketing plan was my top hat. And it came with a top hat. And I went through the process and said, you know, I can do this. And not that I love cleaning chimneys, not that I, I think I was even afraid of heights. <laughs> I just looked at it and said, I can do that. And I want to make $55 an hour. And in 1985, 86, that was a lot of money for me. And I said, I ordered the kit and I didn't want to tell, it was funny. I didn't want to tell anybody I, wanted, I was in the chimney business because I thought everybody was going to get in the chimney business once they found out how great this was. Well, that didn't happen. But so I started off, I was a one man operation sweeping chimneys for 17 years. In that time frame. in the early nineties, I moved to Nashville because I'm a musician, which is uh, also code for broke. Mm -hmm. And, um, we, I just have been in the chimney business the whole time, but since then I learned a lot of business lessons from being a solopreneur, one man operation all the way up to now we have a little, about 60 employees at this company. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I think the definition as I've read it once of a musician is, uh, a, a person who will drive, uh, $5,000 with equipment in a $500 van to a $50 gig. Isn't that kind of what a musician <laughs> is? 
I think I had $5 gigs, but I think you're exactly right. Yeah. All right. So a musician uh, is your love, but you realized that you got to make a living. And I found it interesting what you just said there. You were a factory worker. My wife and I were both factory workers because we're, yeah. from, you know, industrial Indiana. We, she yeah. worked at a bottle cap factory. I worked in a ceiling tile factory when I was 18, 19, 20 years old and going through college. And so she was working in a factory too. We sometimes bump fists when we're sitting on the back porch in Arizona after I've you know, put together a big, strong month and come home from the road and we look at our situation and we bump fists and have a beer. And I say, not too bad for a couple of former factory workers. Yeah, man. That was uh, considered a good job, right? That was yeah, sure. That's the good job. Get the factory job. And so the thing is, you probably had the same thing as me. I didn't mind the work. It was just work. I enjoyed seeing the production. I hated the monotony of it. And then, of course, when I got my college degree, I was in sales and corporate. And the other thing I hated was the lack of creativity. I wanted to be in charge of my compensation. I wanted to be creative. You're a musician. There's a creative side to you that's more creative than just cleaning chimneys, right? Right. Yeah, that that drive, I think that's one of the magic things about Nashville, too. A lot of people move here with that creative drive, and they take that into their businesses. They take that into the service because most people don't make it in music, but they have that dreamer. They have that what-if possibility, they had the, the idea that things could happen, could really turn out well for us. If I do something, something enough, maybe I'll catch a lucky break. And so there's a real hope in Nashville. There's a and I think it, it's what makes it different. And for me, chimneys, and you can imagine, how do you get many people to want to sweep chimneys? Nobody went to school for chimneys. Nobody, nobody's parents said, yeah, you need to grow up and be a chimney sweep. Yet I've got the second, maybe the second largest chimney company in the U.S. with a lot of people that love doing this because they like blue-collar work. They like getting their hands dirty. They like doing something real. And, you know, I wrote a book on it and uh, with the help of Larry Wingett um, called Blue Collar Gold, How to Build a Service Business from the Dirt Up. I, in that, I explore the messaging that we've got to our kids. Our, we're telling them that blue collar work is, it's like what Mike Rose says, like blue collar work is, is like the consolation prize. That's not the good stuff. And my argument, and as, as Mike's is, is, hey, you got the message wrong. That's, that's good work. There's there's a lot of happy people and a lot of wealthy people in blue collar work. Yeah. You know, uh, as a blue collar kid, uh, from a blue collar town, just like you and blue collar background, my wife and I, we both lament this whole entire thing and the peer group that we have, but their kids have to go to college. And some of these folks, you know, aren't college material and the amount of debt they rack up. Whereas as you pointed out, you can go out and clean chimneys and build a chimney business. The other part of that is when you talk about showbiz, I always tell people, uh, the thing about being successful was I was a comedian early on. And uh, everybody thinks it's about the show. Well, you've got to have the show. That's the cost of admission, really. Uh, it's the business. And there's four letters in show, eight letters in the word business. You had a show side. You had a creative side. But you also said, i got to make a living, and I'm going to build this business. I'm going to treat it like a business. So whether right. it's playing gigs with your guitar or being on a chimney, what was the building like? The first year or two, you're working by yourself. And you start to get the hang of it. And then you said, heck, I was worried at tell them about people that I'm doing this well, because they'll, they'll steal my business. And like you right. said, hell, a bunch of them don't want to go and start a chimney business. They think they're above it. Yeah. So when I first started one, I didn't really realize this could be what I would say is a true business with employees and multiple trucks. I just thought the business was me getting busy. And ideally I just kept getting busier and busier. And like you said, after a couple of years, you can work six, seven days a week, 
all day long, all night long and wear yourself out. Now I'm young enough at the time, so I don't mind working. I'm broke. I need to work as much as I can. I was really surprised the first time somebody called me and what are my services? Cause at first I just knocked on doors and was begging for work. And it was funny. I would go to the door in a top hat and people were like, who the heck is this guy? Sure. But uh, I did whatever it took to, to get going. Cause I didn't have much money. When money started coming in, um, I stopped working in the factory, decided I could take this business to Nashville from Indiana. I knew music wasn't going to pay much. So I just started doing it down there. I hired friends and family and a lot of musicians were chimney sweeps too. There's a lot of guys on tour in Nashville now that were chimney sweeps and you would never know it. They're, they work with famous people like kid rock and, everybody they, they've worked for me as chimney guys but had a lot of fun um probably one of the biggest business problems i ran into was uh i was a bad leader I, I didn't know how to lead a lot of people i was trying to be everybody's friend everybody's buddy and i didn't know how to hold people accountable i didn't know how to lead them and make sure they did the right thing i thought if i was nice enough to people they would do the right thing I learned that nice and kind are very different things. I want to be kind and nice is kind of going by the wayside sometimes. Um, and in 2003, I fell off of a roof. I fell 30 feet. I was by myself. I was working on a chimney and I got seriously injured and tried to sell the business. I said, I'm done with this. This is a sign from God that I should not be a chimney sweep. But he also gave me another sign that nobody wanted my crappy little chimney business. Because <laughs> yeah, you, you said, hey, man, I got injured and I've been doing this for oh, 18 years at this point and I don't need to do this anymore. And then nobody came, uh, nobody came calling saying, we're going to give you a million dollars for your chimney business, right? And I thought the whole time I'm building a business that's worth a lot of money. I'm busy. I've got a good name. Phone rings off the hook. I'm sure at the end of the day, I'm going to be able to sell this for a few hundred thousand dollars or more. Boy, was I wrong. A single person operator was worthless. The most I got offered was $10,000. I've been working 17 years on a business and somebody's going to give me $10,000 for my lifelong work. I, I realized how bad my business sense was and how off it was. So at that point, I started trying to learn how to run a real business, how to like your podcast says, do business better, make it so it could run without me. Just it totally changed my life. Yeah, it's the old thing about the curse of the self-employed. I'm generally self-employed. My wife works with me. We have some part-time help sometimes. But as a service provider for 25 years, it's been my job, first comedy, now speaking. And, uh, you know, I've got other things, other investments, farms and rental properties, those kinds of things. But there's the curse of the self-employed, Mark, that you fully understand now that you're busy. The only way you're more successful is to be more busy. And also, there's not a lot of value in your business. So you had a, a sign after the in injury and the accident, I'm going to build a business, something that has value. So tell me what happened from post-accident 2003 till today, starting back then. I tried to sell, I, when I tried to sell the businesses worthless, I just happened to see an article of another chimney company that had 10 trucks and it was in Virginia Beach. And I'm like, that's 10 trucks. I didn't think you could have a second truck, let alone 10 trucks. Virginia right. <laughs> Beach was a similar market to Nashville at the time. And I read an article about this guy who he was, you know, doing all kinds of fun stuff. He was a paramedic. He was skydiving. He was scuba diving, living the life of a business owner. And here I am laying on the couch with a busted up ankle and, and broken uh, rib cage. Um, 
I then happened to see Michael Gerber speak with the uh, the E-Myth. The E-Myth. And I heard, saw him speak and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's he's speaking my language. He, he, he told me I had built a job, not a business. I read the E-Myth, revisited, totally changed my life. And I realized I needed to make a turnkey business like a franchise, but even if you don't franchise it, you need to make it so it has systems and can work basically without you at some point down the road. And from 2003 till now, I've been on a journey to build a true business that works without me. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, I've referenced the E-Myth before. That was a book that I read when I was going through my transition from being a political comedian to more what I do now. And uh, I also, uh, some of that stuff, it hits you really square in the face. It's like, hell, I, I was a really good service provider. I was busy all the time. I had a ton of money coming in the door. Thank God I invested and saved. But right. yeah, I had built a, a job and that's the myth. That's the, again, it's the myth for him. It's the curse of the self-employed. So you, you started building this up and you said, I'm going to buy more trucks and hire more people. And then you also got to make sure your marketing arm is out there. So you've got the revenue and the business coming in. So is that what you concentrated on? So I went to school for marketing and knew the one thing I did know how to do was market my company. What I didn't know how to do was lead my company and I didn't know how to know my numbers, finances, watch the real numbers. Cause I thought, okay, I'm doing okay as a one truck. I'll do better with two trucks and I'll do way better with three trucks. Wrong. I started losing money at two and three trucks and I had more headaches and more problems and I didn't know my numbers and, but I kept building cause I thought just, I could outsell the pain. Uh-huh. When I got up to 17 employees and a little over a million dollars, I went totally broke. It was 2007, 2008. I went totally broke. I couldn't pay my bills. I had a drug problem inside my company. Several of my employees were doing and selling drugs. I didn't know it. I was just, uh, I was a little bit blind to that. And I had to shut my whole company down in 2008. I went from 17 employees back down to by myself because I decided I'd, I'd built the worst chimney company in the United States. I'm a crappy leader. This is my fault. I need to fix my crap. And mm-hmm. so I hated to do it. The hardest day of my life is to let 17 people go. Of that, about five people were really good people. And I had about 12 hangers on and bad people. In 2009, I started to rebuild it with, a, with my son. He was 14 years old. He sat beside me and I said, son, his name is Saxon. I said, you're not playing video games this summer. You're going to learn how dad digs out of a big hole. <laughs> and, um, and he helped me and he, it was a great time for him and I to learn how to build the business back. And since then, my, my key to anybody in business is learn leadership and learn how to be a good leader of people and know your numbers. And it's hard to go wrong if you can do those two things right. Leadership and numbers. Okay. So as the leader of the newly formed Ash Busters, then you said, I'm going to get things right because obviously yeah. the business had a ton of people but, and you even had revenue, but you weren't making any money. What, right. what change did you make that made it right? One thing I went to paying my people on commission. I went to pay them on production. I paid them the same as I got paid. If we win, you win. If we lose, you lose. I want you to have the same thought process I do toward a job, toward doing it right the first time, toward not forgetting your tools on the, on the job, to doing quality work. And I want to pay you great the first time. 
if we have to go back a second time, you take the same hit I do. You don't get paid, neither do I. And I'm telling you, it was really hard to do that, to make that, you know, switch. But once I did and all my production people are on commission, everybody gets a piece of the pie. It's the best thing I ever did. They all, we all work together. We win together and we bleed together. And when something's not working, they all have the same mentality as I do to fix it and not go through that again. When I paid hourly, the way you make more money is to work more hours totally in conflict with what I want to do. I want us to work fast and efficient. The problem with my, my fast and efficient guys were making less money than my slow, terrible guys. Right. I'm like, this isn't fair. So that was a key is to working on a commission. So I always knew my labor cost on every job because I paid a straight commission. I figured out my material costs and then to bring in people and train them and get them to know was my next challenge. And when I started getting real strong alpha males in this company, since I wasn't a strong alpha male, I had to learn to become one. The funny thing is our friend Larry Winget didn't know me at the time. He was my alpha male in this company. Funny, so I listened to his CDs and whenever he would say something that made sense and I wanted my people to know, I decided to go to, I, sh I let them listen to Larry on, on tape. I said, hear this guy, this is what we're doing. And Larry helped me before I could do it myself. I liked how he, you know, talked about how responsibility and I'm, I became, it helped me learn how to be a better leader. And so before I could do it, Larry was my surrogate leader. And then I stepped into those shoes. That's fantastic. Okay. Today you now have servant chimney inventing and that is why you franchise because you had people that were coming to you saying hey you've done a great job with your own business teach me how and you charged them and you put together training modules they don't even have to be in the chimney business it could be in the lawn mowing business it could be in the uh, construction business it could be in just about anything and they said i want to see your methods because you've built up this thing now and you're back to 60 employees you're killing it so you said i'm going to train i'm going to put together training modules and then I also am going to franchise it. That's where yeah. things are going now. It basically, once a business runs well, you've got systems in place. I thought, well, if I can just put all those systems in one place, if you wanted to get in the chimney business, I could speed up your trajectory. You know, at the time I've been in it 20 plus years, I can show you how to do, get where I am in probably five to seven years versus 25 years. I can really help you get through it much faster. And at the, at the present, we got four to five franchises. Um, but out of that came this training module where we were teaching people how to do it online. And a lot of other companies, uh, all types of services, including chimneys, buy our training modules on leadership, businesses, um, you know, how to run a service business, how to build a company. And people really uh, get a lot out of those. And so out of the one business that's working, several other businesses kind of start to crop up from it. Yeah. Well, you've got, that is the, the, the best part is when one thing is going well, it's kind of like I say in my book, do business better. Everything walks in lockstep. When things are bad in one part of your life and business, it tends to go, it drags everything down. When things are going yes. in the right direction, they walk lockstep together. Don't they Mark? Yeah. I, you know, success has great magnetism and, and when you're expected to do well, you're more likely to do well. When you expect that things are going to go bad, probably are going to go bad. And you don't realize that that positive or negative aura you carry kind of follows through to stuff. Now 
that being said, I have stuff that fails all the time, but I have a very positive outlook on how it's going to end up. So we might be taking a butt kicking today, but I know we're going to get through it. I have hope. I have a feeling that uh, my team can work through it. And, you know, I, I have hope in America. I just believe in this country so much that we're the most fortunate people to ever live. In my opinion, now, I hate some of our political climate, but I love our system. I just got back from Europe. I was over in Sweden and Denmark and, um, and uh, Italy. And I'm telling you, those are great countries, but they don't hold a candle to our setup for business and right. opportunity. They, they just don't. They, there's so much bureaucracy and so much red tape to do business. We are, if you, if America and business, those two things are the best. There's, that's the best there is. Yeah, because the, those folks, when I talk to folks from more socialized countries, it seems, Mark, like they just have this defeatist thing like, well, yeah, yeah we couldn't do that. Yeah, we couldn't do that. We totally. couldn't do that. And, and that's sure. too bad. So speaking of doing it, you, uh, you've also branched out. You have Blue Collar Enterprises and Blue Collar Podcast. So if people listen to my podcast, learning how to do business better, and they want to learn from your folks, they can find you on the Blue Collar Podcast. Blue Collar Enterprises, you do consultation and help companies learn what you've learned through your ups, your downs, your, your side steps, and your, and your forward steps. You also started the chocolate business. That's cool. Talk about the chocolate business. So just real quickly on the blue collar gold podcast, I talk to people about how to build a service business, exactly the problems I'm running through the successes I've had and the problems. And I think, um, you know, it really touches on in, in that uh, I have people come into my business. I show them exactly how we do everything. That's a blue collar um, uh, consultations. But then on top of all that, I decided I should get in the chocolate business. <laughs> Uh, not really. I was selling my franchise in New York. I wasn't having any luck selling the franchise. I was at the Javits Center at a franchise expo show. Nobody, everybody there was to, you know, franchise food and something fun. I'm here in the chimney business. Nobody was talking to me. Wrong venue for me. Uh -huh. Well, this one guy is selling chocolate over on the side. He had a full booth and I went over and talked to him. And he said, I need a vendor in Tennessee. So I bought a little franchise that sold chocolate in Nashville. Well, that went okay for a couple of years. We were selling it in malls and a few things, but he wasn't a great vendor. He was a terrible business person. And finally I said, I had to cut ties. And I, my daughter was, was running the business with me. And I said, we're going to one of two things. We're either getting totally out of the chocolate business or we're going full in. We're going to learn how to make chocolate. We're going to go to chocolate school. We're going to buy all the equipment. We're going to buy a building. We're going to do this. Of course, with dad's money, she's like, let's do this. <laughs> so I've been through multiple levels of Chicago Chocolate Academy. I just got back from Eugene, Oregon on chocolate maker school. So in October, our whole chocolate factory and everything is launching. So wow, we're right on the edge of it. This is cool. This is very cool. All right. I don't, uh, I don't like to keep our, our listeners on forever and ever. So uh, we're going to get, uh, we're going to get to the, the, the end here, but I love the chocolate thing. That's cool. When do you expect you'll actually make money on your chocolate business? You got a oh year? my gosh. <laughs> Two years. When did you say ever? A couple of years. It'll take a couple of years. It's one of the hardest businesses there is. And it's a, there's a big hard learning curve, but we're going into corporate gifting and that, that type of thing. And we've got a setup for corporate like packaging and everything. So our goal is to go down that road and, and, uh, it, it'll take a couple of years for sure. The best thing about it is I'm doing it with my daughter. 
and we are business partners and I, and she's, I love seeing her flourish and she's such a great entrepreneur of mine and she's all energy. She's 25 years old. That's great. And it's, if nothing else, the investment in this to see her really go full in business is worth it all to me. If we don't ever make a dime, that time with her and this time of our life is is really what it's about for me. That's exciting. That's cool. And I have a yeah. feeling that she's got. If uh, she's a chip off the old block, she'll be fine. She'll she'll uh, she'll have a little easier time getting going because you got her going. But uh, she's yeah. gonna she's gonna take it and run with. It. His book is called Blue Collar Gold. His name is Mark Stoner. The company is Ashbusters Chimney Service. And if you have a question, if you want to find anything about this guy, you can listen to his Blue Collar podcast. What else can they do, Mark? If they want to find you, I have a website, MarkStoner.com, and uh, I love hearing from people. And if you got a business or or business business questions. I, you know, I think now that my, I've been in business a long time, I, I really love helping people. It just, it's uh, it's part of, it's the fun part now. So I love to help anybody that needs it. Yeah, you're what, 34, 35 years now you've been doing this. So uh, you've stubbed your toe, you've broken your ribs, you've yeah. uh, you've been up and down and sideways and backwards and, and you're yeah. rolling and that's the fun part of it, isn't it? All right, last bit of advice. Anything, anything you want to tell, anything that you say, hey, here's the one lesson I'm going to leave you with. Yeah, probably the, the, I consult with a lot of businesses. The two things that you cannot do, if you're going to be a leader, do not be a passive leader. <laughs> That's the one of the worst things you could be is a passive leader. And the second thing is stay relevant, stay on top of your game. Don't ever think you're too old for say the new music of today, or I don't know what a podcast is, or I don't listen to audiobooks, or I don't do this or don't get too old. I don't want to learn the new apps and the iPhone or the latest stay relevant, man. Stay on top of it. Cause the day you become not relevant, people quit calling you and they don't need your advice and they don't need your help. And as you know, cause you saw me deliver that message three, four years ago about yeah. business reinvention. And that's the number one thing I say, if you want you, if you don't, if you want to stay in demand, you better stay relevant. His name's you're, Mark Stoner. He's awesome. Uh, what else? We all good. Your talk a couple years ago really affected me, man. It, it was fantastic. Listening to you say that and the way you delivered it. <laughs> I actually took some of the things you said and delivered it back to my industry. And said, this guy is so right. So thank you for that message. <laughs> His name's Mark Stoner. He's been an awesome guest. And uh, you can find him at markstoner.com. Until next time, thanks for being here, Mark. Thanks. It's the Do Business Better podcast. You bet. See ya.